Well, I know you have a Bible, because ain't no sense coming to this church if you don't have a Bible. And so we've got a few things to talk about tonight. Who are those that don't know where they're going when they are going to die? What do you call them? What are people called that don't know where they're going when they die? They're what? Somebody says lost. They don't know where they're going when they die. What are they? Huh? Unsaved, lost, all of the above. I got an article in the mail and it kind of bothered me just a tad. It was written by Bob Wilkins. Now I know Bob Wilkins. I preached for him. He heads up a group called the Grace Evangelical Society. And he's been strong on the gospel of grace for a long time. But he wrote an article and he says, who is the lost person according to scripture? And he says, when we actually go to the scriptures and see how the word lost is used, we find out it rarely, if ever, refers to those who lack everlasting life. Now, I had a problem with that. So I thought, well, that was an interesting statement. It caught my attention, and so I began to read a little bit more. And um, I, I thought, well, we've got to call him something. This is what he said. He said, there is not one place in the epistles where the term lost occurs in English translations, with the lone exception of 2 Corinthians 4.3 in the King James Version which is translated, them that are lost. Whereas other translations have those who are perishing. There are a handful of places where Paul refers to those who are perishing. My point is that not only is it uncommon for the apostles to speak of lost people in their epistles, they never do so. Then he says, lost people are people often believers who've lost their way. I believe somebody's getting confused or they're going to confuse a lot of people. That's confusing language to me. He says that God doesn't refer to the people as being lost that don't know where they're going when they die, except in one place. Well, let me ask you something. If God said in his word, I am coming back to the earth on January the 15th, 2010. How many times would he have to say that for it to be true? Well, it only says this one time. Well, is it still true or is it untrue? How many times must the Lord say something for it to be true? Well, I have a problem. He said, I think it is high time we stop referring to unbelievers as the lost. If neither the Lord nor his apostles ever did that, 
Remember, Jesus only referred to one person, Judas is lost. Why should we? The Lord taught that if a believer is out of fellowship with God, then that believer is lost. He is born again, but lost in terms of his walk with God. The practical benefit of this change would be that we understand the Bible better, and we come to realize that any time we are out of fellowship with God, we are lost people. Our concern should be that we not become lost. There is no guarantee that we will stay in fellowship with Christ. But if we become lost, then we, like the prodigal son, will find famine and loss, and that should certainly lead us to come to our senses like he did and return to the Father. It always pays to stay in fellowship with God. Now, was that clear to you? That is not clear to me. Now, this is a highly educated man. And I really believe that he loves the Lord and loves the Word and he loves souls. But this is confusing. I had to read it several times to make sure I understood what he was saying. And when I got through, I totally disagree with him. Yes, I believe that a, a sheep of the Lord can go astray. But he doesn't get lost in the sense that he's, he's lost. He, he's not lost. So what I did, and it kind of pricked my mind to try to cover a few things. And I want you to follow along with me. Because what are we supposed to call those people that do not know where they're going when they die? Now, we can't call them Christians. That I know that. We can't call them Christians. And we can't call them believers. Because that would mean they'd be saved. So, look there in Romans in chapter 5. Romans in chapter 5. And follow me through a little of my madness. And hopefully this will make sense to you. Because you are going to have to deal with things like this. Because people are always coming up with something new. And they think they're making it simple and clear. And it becomes muddy. Here in the book of Romans, I want you to look there in chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And look what he says here in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So I guess we could say that the people that don't know where they're going when they die would be, well, they are ungodly. But that wouldn't be a very, you know, good term because a Christian can live ungodly. But Christ died for the ungodly, so that whoever is ungodly, Christ died for. So I guess you could call them the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. It says so right there. Look at the next verse. Look there in verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so Christ died for sinners. So we know two types of people that you can maybe call them the, you know, Sinners. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. All right, but is it wrong to say that sinners and the ungodly are lost? I always looked at it this way, and I asked people the question, do you know where you're going when you die? And they often say, no. Well, if they don't know where they're going when they die, they don't know where they're going. They're lost. 
They don't know where to If somebody was in the woods and I say, where are you going? I don't know. Then you must be lost. You don't know where you're going. I don't see anything wrong with the word. And I don't believe that I need to change it because Bob Wilkins says I need to stop saying that. Did you know this is a very powerful man? Very powerful man. Because he influences an awful lot of people and he is strong on the gospel of grace. He believes in eternal security just like you and I do. A few years ago, I would have let him preach in my church. No questions asked because the man was clear. Yeah, when I went down there to preach for him in Dallas at the Grace Evangelical uh, Society there, they had a, a seminar down there. And uh, Tony Evans was down there and a few others. And Dr. Seymour was there. Freddie Coyle was down there. He didn't speak there, but I was, he was down there. And uh, but anyway, they, they asked me to speak. I, I spoke. And I didn't detect it as much then, but then my friend, Danny Adams, he says, Yankee, did, did you catch? I said, something's wrong, something's wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. And then afterwards I saw it. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. The book of Ezekiel and chapter 3. All the way back there in the Old Testament, there's a verse here that I want you to see in chapter 3. This is on page 843 in your Old Schofield Reference Bible. And it makes a statement here in verse 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning. Thou speakest to warn, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hands. Sounds like... Um, we could maybe call the man wicked man. Christ died for the wicked. Would that be true? He died for the wicked man. And he says to, to warn the wicked man of his wicked way. So we use sins to show how sinful a man is and how he needs to be righteous to go to heaven. And, and they're not righteous. So we can use the verses. So I guess we could go on to all the world and preach the gospel to every wicked man. I wonder how many that would include. Go in the world and preach the gospel to every ungodly man. I wonder how many that would include. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every sinner. I wonder how many that would include. Hmm. I think there's a trail here somewhere. And I think it's going to lead us someplace. Uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. One of these days I'm going to preach the whole 55th chapter. I love the 55th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Loaded with a lot of good stuff in it. But chapter 55, look in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Uh, do you know what um, you could say from this one verse? Uh, well, at least several things. Everyone that's thirsty, 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone that's thirsty. That would include a lot of people. They're thirsty people. So is that what we call them? They're thirsty people. And you notice it also says, come ye without money. So there is a verse in the Bible talking about preaching the gospel to the poor. Preach the gospel to the poor. So whoever is poor, we're supposed to preach the gospel to them. We're supposed to preach the gospel to anybody that's thirsty. Anybody that's a sinner. Anybody that's an ungodly person. Anybody that's wicked. So, um, so far I haven't even used the word lost. If we don't want to use the word lost, okay, well, what do we call them? What do we call the person that doesn't know where he's going when he dies? Take your Bible and look there in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation in chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. So one's in the Old Testament, and here's one all the way over here in the New Testament. Seems like nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. In chapter 22, you'll notice there in verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. Let him that is thirsty. Well, that's the same thing as in Isaiah. Chapter 55. Ho. Like, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Got good news. Let everyone that is thirsty come and buy without money. Ye that are poor. And here he's talking about it's a free gift because it says, and let him take the water of life. How much does it cost? That word freely. How much does it cost? Nothing. It's free. It's free. You, so go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's free. So um, I guess just to anybody that's thirsty. Take your Bible and look here in the book of John. The Gospel of John in chapter 6. The Gospel of John in chapter 6. John chapter 6 talks about somebody that's hungry. Look at verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. In other words, there's bread that we eat in this world that keeps us alive physically. But he has some bread that when you eat this bread, you will have eternal life. See, down here, the bread that we eat is temporary. Most of y'all had breakfast. Some of y'all had lunch. But chances are, everybody's going to eat something today. So that means that you don't have to eat the rest of the week, right? Some of you can't hardly make it till we get out of here and, and get to the village inn. I'm one of them. So just because I ate a big meal at lunchtime doesn't mean that I don't have to eat anymore. I still get hungry. But Christ says, if you eat the bread that I have, you never have to eat it again. I mean, one meal will do. One bite will do. It's all you need. That's why he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Boy, that, that was a good bite that I had 50 years ago and never had to do it again. I've never had to get saved again. That one bite did me well. I have eternal life.
And he says here in verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. That's eternal security. Means once you do it, you never have to do it again. So what would we call the lost man? Somebody that's hungry? Somebody that's thirsty? Well, somebody that's ungodly, somebody that's a sinner. I guess we could preach the gospel to just those people. Uh, no, you just about could narrow it down. Maybe we ought to just preach the gospel to everybody. Maybe we ought to just go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, there's another word. So what are the lost men, what are they called? Creatures. They're creatures. So whatever a creature is, and we're not talking about the little crawling creatures. We're not talking about the four-footed kind. We're talking about human beings going to all there and preach the gospel to them because they can hear and understand and believe. That is, I believe thee, the will of God. Look in John chapter 9. Since you're right here in John, look in chapter 9. We just sung a song, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. Look what he says in verse 25. He answered and he said, whether he, referring to Christ, is a sinner or not, I don't know, he says. Because they asked this blind man, hey, who did this to you? He says, I don't know. I don't know. He says, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. See what he says? One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I know that 50 years ago, I could say I was blind, but now I see. I didn't know where I was going. I was like a blind man. Sorry about that, Ted. I was like a blind man. I was like a lost man. I could not see. But now I see. And I know that it was the Lord that caused me to see. And now I see. So I guess we could say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone that's blind. That's blind. Not with their physical eyes, but blind spiritually. They can't see. They don't understand. And that's why the question, do you know where you're going to go when you die? is such a good question. Because most people don't know. But maybe it's, uh, if we can't call them the lost man, we could call them the blind man. So everybody going all over and reach the blind men. And I think that might cause some people a little confusion. So what word are we going to use? Well, take your Bible and look in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew and chapter 11. Matthew 11, and the Bible says there in verse 5, that some of John the Baptist, you know, he had been placed in jail, and he was on the verge of losing his head. And he sent a couple, says, find out, is, is, this, is he really the Messiah? And have we followed the right man? Have we pointed it out the right person? And, and Jesus answered them. And I don't think John questioned as much as he wanted his disciples that were following him to be sure. That's my personal opinion. But anyway, when he says in verse 3, And said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And then look what he says. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. So maybe we need to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the poor. And is it just those that are poor in this world or just poor spiritually? You know, this same verse or this phrase is mentioned in the book of Isaiah in chapter 61, I believe. Where it talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me and hath anointed me to preach the gospel and so forth. Talking about this very same thing. But there it talks about the meek. Here it uses the word the poor. The book of Luke also refers to the poor. So what are we going to call those people that you and I are supposed to reach? They're poor. I was poor. God says that he was rich. And he set aside his riches. And became what? Poor. That we through his Poverty might be made rich. So if I'm going to be made rich, I must have been poor. True. You and I were poor. Very poor. And now we are rich. Very rich. And the Bible makes it simple and makes it clear, I believe, that there's something that you and I have in our hands. The Bible calls it we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This treasure is the gospel itself. Inside of us and what we know. And what we can do for people. You know, I had a uh, little ranch meeting up there in Georgia. It never really got super big. And we struggled off and on. And it would be up and down, up and down. And um, I had some kids come and a lot of them were problem kids. A lot of them, if they were my kids, I would have killed them. They were brats. Some were just plain brats. We had one kid that came, and he, um, he was into drugs. He was cute, and all the girls liked him. He was about 14 years old. But every, all the girls just... They don't care about anything else of what he does and how he lives. He's cute. And I had to constantly keep telling those girls, uh, leave the guy alone. He's, he's not worth a quarter. No, no, he's not right with the Lord and all this. But he trusted Christ as Savior. Went to one of my camps. I had to send him home. He'd come to ranch, and I had to have him leave. And I kicked him out I don't know how many times. I'm telling you the truth. Sometimes there's some kids you don't know how to, you can't help them. I know what I'd like to have done to him. Because, you know, you can have a couple of little brats that can totally ruin a youth meeting. And so I have to figure out what I'm going to do with this kid. But he was so nice. He was, you can't help but like the kid. Even when you're chewing him out, he's sitting there with a grin on his face. I don't really like the grin off your face. But he would just smile. And the girl just thought he was just, what a hunk. He was a little bitty skinny kid. And the more trouble he got in, the more they liked him. Can you believe somebody like that? Most of you women in this room, that's the kind of a fellow you would have went with when you was a teenager. But anyway, 
I got a phone call this week. I answered my phone. He says, hello. He says, do, um, do you know who I am? I says, no, keep talking. He said a few more things, and I kind of recognized him, but I, I, I couldn't really recognize it. I couldn't put a name to him. I said, I, I have no clue who this is. He says, my name is Jeffrey. I says, I don't know any Jeffrey. He says, yes, you do. I says, no, I don't. I do not recall knowing any Jeffrey in my whole life. He says, my name is Jeffrey, Jeffrey Hunter. I says, I remember you. <laughs> he says, it was about seven or eight years ago when I came to ranch. It's when he trusted Christ as Savior. And he was always in trouble. He calls me up and he says, Yankee, he says, I just want to thank you for all that you did for me. And I thought, what did I do for him? All I remember is kicking him out and chewing him out. But he says, I've made up my mind. He said, I'm 22 years old now, and I'm going to serve the Lord. He said, now I see I need to serve the Lord. I want to do something with my life. I almost come unglued. I almost lost it. And I said, I, I'm so proud of you. Sometimes you can't see the result at the time. You just want to strangle a few of them. But, you know, years pass and you see some of the results of some of these kids. And it just blesses your heart. Because at the time, all you were doing was digging up the ground and planting the seeds. And nothing grow. Nothing grow. Nothing grow. You know what it makes you want to do? When you don't see anything growing, it makes you, I feel I just quit. It ain't worth it. And then sometimes, on down the road, there's something in the, have you ever planted something in the garden? You go out there every five minutes and check and see if it's up yet. And then when you first see the little blade coming up out of there, oh, look, look, it's coming up. So what is it? I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get the fruit on it. And you plant all these things, and then you have to wait till something happens before you know what kind of it was because the winds blew the little picture away, and you don't remember what you planted. I've done, done that a lot of times. Have no idea, but you know it's supposed to be some good stuff. And to see somebody come along and they finally understand, so I'm going to serve the Lord. See, that's what you and I are in the business of doing. We want God to use us to plant seeds. You can't make it grow. We plant and we water, but God giveth the increase.